Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome everyone to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm Mark Yakino, your host. I am a managing director in Major Lindsay in Africa's Transform Advisory Services practice. I'm here today with a very special guest, Mark Goldstein, who is a partner at Reed Smith. He's a nationally recognized labor and employment lawyer. And just as importantly, or even more importantly, he is a passionate advocate for mental health in our chosen profession. Um, he's an author, he's a mental health warrior. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mark to introduce himself and share a little bit about his story. The purpose of today's podcast is really to look back on 2020 and what we've seen in the profession with respect to mental health issues. So Mark, uh, why don't you tell our audience um, a little bit about yourself, even though your story is pretty well known. I think there are lots of people who could benefit from hearing it from you. Sure, thanks. First of all, thank you for having me here, Mark. It's uh, it's an honor. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, as, as you said, um, one of the, the issues that I am, perhaps the issue I'm most passionate about in my life is uh, mental health advocacy. And the background to that goes back a little more than three years ago um, in the fall of 2017. Uh, specifically, actually started on Labor Day weekend of 2017. I found myself all of a sudden, after uh, just a normal week, um, having uh, dealing with some severe um, mental health issues. Ultimately, I would be diagnosed with severe depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and generalized anxiety. Um, I really started going down a spiral that weekend. And in particular, um, what started to take hold uh, from the OCD or the obsessive compulsive disorder um, uh, front of things was I convinced myself that I had committed malpractice. Now, there was no basis in reality for that, not like it had been alleged, um, but I, I was certain I had committed malpractice. So what I ended up doing was deciding that I needed to review every email I had sent and received while at my firm, at Reed Smith, which was you know, four and a half or five and a half years at that point, um, and review every document that I'd ever drafted looking for some instance of malpractice. And I did this over roughly the next four or five weeks um, as you can imagine, it was thousands of materials um, obsessively pouring over them. And, um, you know, I would, for instance, wake up at three in the morning and uh, tell my wife I was going to get a glass of water downstairs. And I would spend three hours on her, in my office upstairs looking through all the emails on the particular matter. Again, there was no, uh, no allegation of malpractice. Of course, I didn't find anything. Um, but in my head, I was obsessed with this idea. Kind of concurrently with that, the other manifestations uh, of the mental health disabilities, and it took me a long time to acknowledge the fact that you know, mental health disabilities are indeed disabilities, uh, no different than a physical ailment. Um, I would have panic attacks, severe stomach aches, um, and to the point where when I was in the office um, at work, I would spend most of my day on the couch in our wellness room. We have a wellness room on the 20th floor of our office. When I could stomach uh, to be in my office, I would mostly, if, if I wasn't obsessively looking over emails and documents, I would Google things like attorney burnout, 
which is a phrase that I admittedly hate because I think it glosses over uh, real issues. But nevertheless, that's the term our industry has used for a long time to uh, generally describe these issues. And, and really, uh, there weren't many resources out there. Um, I think the first article that came up in Google was written by a recruiter. And basically what it said um, was something along the lines of, if you feel burnt out, be quiet, don't say anything. Otherwise, your career prospects will go into the garbage. So I thought probably not the best of ideas, but nevertheless, I heeded that advice for several weeks. Um, ultimately, I, I, you know, I was able to see that I was not just um, falling apart professionally, but personally as well when I was at home. Um, I was in bed just most of the time. I wasn't interacting with my wife, really, or my son. And um, I wasn't, I realized I wasn't going to be able to achieve either the professional goals or the personal goals uh, that I had set for myself that I wanted. And, you know, after about six weeks, by, by mid-October of 2017, I realized I needed some sort of change. Um, I never felt suicidal, as I've come to learn in the last few years. You know, that obviously, um, mental health-related issues and suicidal tendencies do so sadly often go hand in hand. I never felt suicidal, thankfully. Um, I never felt the urge to harm myself, but I didn't think I would make it to 2018. I didn't know how uh, things would end, but I didn't think I'd make it to the next year. Um, so ultimately, I went to the HR team uh, at my firm, and I said, look, I, I, I need to make a change. I need some time off. And, and I was very clear with him that I didn't know when I would be returning. And I, more importantly, didn't know if I'd be returning. Um, I started my leave of absence in, uh, in mid-October, on October 16th of 2017. Um, October 17th of 2017, I should say. And, and really, I, I didn't think that I'd ever return to the practice of law. And what I ended up doing over what ended up being the next 11 weeks was, um, you know, a contemplative reflection and, you know, really putting in work uh, to try to determine what was going on and how I could help myself. So that included meeting each week with each of a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is a little bit different uh, than traditional therapy. Um, I also engaged uh, and I started taking medication, which I still take to this day. Um, I engaged a mindfulness coach who taught me about mindfulness and meditation, which was very much something that I had scoffed at prior to that. Uh, I didn't believe in the benefits of breathing, meditation, mindfulness. Um, and I quickly learned that uh, there were substantial benefits to it. Uh, over the course of mid-October, turned into November, turned into December, I started feeling like myself again. I think a combination of a variety of factors uh, weighing, playing it together. And I felt well enough that by early January of 2018, I could, have, I, you know, I felt comfortable returning to the firm. Uh, I was extremely nervous to do so, but I felt I was ready to do it. Do it. And, and on my first day back, I mean, I, I was extremely, extremely nervous. Um, but quite quickly, you know, I was put at ease. Uh, the partner I work with the most, she, she sat down with me and said, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And it's the same thing. We have all the same stuff going on is when you went out. And, you know, with that, I, I was put at ease pretty quickly. Um, I was welcomed back with open arms. Um, no, you know, I didn't have a, any, any feel uh, stigmatized at all. Um, I felt complete support. And later on in the year in 2018, I uh, joined uh, LEADERS, which is an acronym, and it's our 
uh, Reed Smith's uh, disability inclusion group. And I met some incredible folks through that group. And um, ultimately, I realized that, you know, what I had felt a year, roughly a year prior, where I felt so alone when I was going through this journey, um, you know, there were so many people uh, within my firm of attorneys and staff who could relate. And, you know, it was incredible to me because you look at somebody from the outside, and for the most part, you can't tell if they're suffering uh, from a mental health condition. And so what was amazing to me was meeting successful people in their careers, uh, whatever that means, uh, successful people in their careers who, um, by all outward appearances, you know, maybe they had a big client, they were partners or, you know, uh, they, they were some vision of success that, you know, walking down the hall, you'd have no idea that they were suffering. I learned that they were suffering or had suffered, you know, substantially, perhaps even more so than I, or maybe they had a loved one who was in a tough situation or had been in a tough situation. And after meeting folks within within the group and, and you know, sharing a little bit about my experiences, uh, towards the end of 18 and early 2019, um, I felt comfortable enough where I, I wanted to share my story kind of with the world, if you will. Um, and really the impetus was that for that was because having met so many people through leaders, um, you know, I realized that so many people could relate. But at the same time, so few people, um, you know, were willing to talk openly about their stories and, and understandably so in, in each person's journey of uh, being his or her own. But, you know, I, I thought back to that article I'd read by that recruiter with, you know, the world's worst advice. And at that point, there still was a fairly limited, um, you know, universe of materials out there for people uh, to read on this issue. There, there had been a few articles published in 2018, one by uh, Joe Milowich, who's a partner uh, at Quinn Emanuel, it's a fantastic read. Um, and so I sat down one morning, I spewed out a couple thousand words, uh, which was ultimately published in the American Lawyer. And, um, you know, kind of, as I say, the rest is history. I've spent, uh, that was February of 2019. So it's been almost two years. I've spent, uh, you know, these almost two years uh, speaking, writing on this issue. And, and for me, one of the biggest, uh, you know, biggest concerns I had in, in going you know, public with my story is how will people react? You know, when I had gone out on leave, a small group of people knew why I'd gone out. A few other people, you know, kind of knew that I was out, you know, for medical reasons and probably didn't know, uh, you know, the specifics. And so clients were going to read this, colleagues were going to read this, people who would refer work to me were going to read this, and I didn't know how they'd react. And ultimately what I learned was that you, you can't even begin to imagine how many people can relate to this issue. Uh, the, the level of support that I've received internally at Reed Smith and externally from other, other folks in the profession, frankly, outside the profession, clients, um, is just beyond tremendous. I still get messages, you know, to this day, every week from folks reaching out, uh, asking if we, they can chat or just saying, you know, they read the article and, you know, they appreciate what it says. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of uh, coincidentally, uh, you know, I, I published it at a time where we're increasing the dialogue through things exactly like this podcast um, on this precise issue. And, um, you know, it, I, you know, I'm hopeful that it, it, it's helped a little bit, you know, to move the, to move the dialogue. There, there have been so many other folks who've done amazing work as well. There's the, you know, the kind of the landmark ABA study in 2016 that, you know, basically said, look, our, our profession's in trouble as it relates to mental health issues. Um, and, you know, so, so I've been, I, I've been so 
so, um, you know, hardened is a word I use a lot, uh, in the response that I've received to my articles, to my speaking opportunities, um, and, and it really has been uh, across the board. I think that's an amazing story, um, not only because of your selflessness and sharing the story, but from a personal perspective, and I, I actually haven't really shared this before, is how far things have come despite the problem we have in the profession. I remember in 1995 when I was a, a lawyer practicing in Cleveland, feeling so deeply depressed and reaching out to what, you know, our employee research, resource group or whatever, the ERP, and then referring me to a doctor who gave me a 10 question questionnaire and said I wasn't sick enough to see him. And it wasn't until 20 years later that I was um, diagnosed by a very sharp resident at the Medical College of Virginia and ultimately got the right care to, um, to um, you know, learn how to live with bipolar disease. So I went for 20 some years without being treated. And I think probably without anyone realizing that I was, was dying inside. Um, and you hit on a really important point. And it's one that, that, that is, um, it, it's really important for me and I suspect it may be for you which is that a lot of the, the discussion around mental health issues in the legal department really does have what I call a burnout stress bias, which is that the profession and the demands of big law are so onerous that you're burning out and not enough attention is given to the fact that you may have actually a biological disease that requires medication, not on a transactional basis, but on an ongoing basis. And that, you know, you need a variety of therapeutic modalities to manage that condition. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Look, um, any profession, and I think particularly acute to professions like law, medicine, finance, um, you know, professional services, accounting, um, you know, there, there is an inherent stress associated with the job. Um, and, and I think that some people, when they hear, you know, mental health issues, think, you know, think that, that that's what, you know, we're talking about, you know, that, that general, um, you know, stress that's associated with the job, but it, it but it's so much, it, it's not that, you know, um, it's not, you know, just the meeting deadlines and the longer. So that's not what it is. That, that, that's part of the profession. That's not going to change. It's, it's a crippling um, disorder. Um, and, and, and then, you know, obviously the disorders are different. So you talked about bipolar, you know, I, I talk about, you know, OCD, but um, they have the effect of, of crippling you and making you feel like you cannot go on as a human. Um, like there is no future. So it's different than just your, you know, run of the mill stress and anxiety. That's going to happen from time to time in any profession. Um, and certainly our profession has, has work to do in that regard. But, you know, these types of issues are, you know, and disabilities and conditions are ones that take over your entire world and, and essentially impede you, um, you know, and to many, to, to many extents from, you know, um, 
having your normal uh, personal and professional interactions that you're used to having. And I think the important thing for here is that it is stressful to be a lawyer. It is a stressful profession, but it isn't necessarily the stressful nature of the work that is causing the feelings and symptoms you are displaying. Right. It can be related to a whole host of other things. You could be working construction, and if your brain is wired the way it's wired, you will be just mm -hmm. as depressed, anxious, and obsessive compulsive than if you were a practicing law. And, and, and I really am glad that your story reflects, you know, the clinical side of mental illness as opposed to over-focusing on the environmental factors around our profession, which we both, I think, agree could use some, could use some significant work. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I think why this became such a, has become over the years, or well, not even become over the years, has been for so long a crisis in our profession, as, as you uh, unfortunately pointed out, a, a silent crisis for many years. Um, I think, you know, you usually, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with your analogy to the construction versus the lawyer. I think it's simply that, you know, the legal profession and uh, certain other professions tend to attract folks who are likely more predisposed um, to, you know, these types of issues. And, and that starts in law school, you know, you, you, the type A, the perfectionism and, you know, for what makes us good law students at good lawyers, um, attention to detail, responsiveness, you know, et cetera, all, all those things, um, which, you know, from, I think for many people drive into law, to law school, to be lawyers, um, you know, there's a fine line that if you cross it, which I crossed, then it becomes dangerous and unhealthy. And that, you know, so I think that's why our profession tends to skew, among other reasons, but I think a big part is why our profession tends to have such a disproportionately high number uh, of folks, you know, suffering from mental health conditions is because, you know, to start, the people who are entering the profession have a potential propensity uh, to suffer and, you know, ultimately, again, uh, many of us go over that line, you know, what makes us, you know, do well in law school and be good lawyers, and it doesn't have to be in a big law firm, um, and, you know, takes us over the line where we go, you know, essentially too far, if you will. Um, you know, I think, so I think that's why, that, that's a big part of the reason why the legal profession has had this crisis for so long. Yeah, and, and, and just to um, comment on that thought about you know, going too far. I think that those tendencies can be precursors or, 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 or signals that there is potentially an underlying disease. And yep. when you're put in that, when you're put in that situation that's competitive and where strength is valued, it's often, you know, the final, like, the final, final part of the wick that fully mm -hmm. ignites a biological disease. It's n not that people choose to go too far, but they go too far because yeah. that final push, that accelerant. Um, yep. And, 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 and I think that um, 
that makes the work you're doing and others are doing to destigmatize the act of putting your hand up and asking for help is so important. Um, because part of the process is to normalize mental illness. And I think, you know, you talked about, you know, your affinity group within Reed Smith um, and the clinicians I've talked to, especially clinicians who focus on the treatment of men who are, 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 are less likely to voluntarily seek treatment is one of the first steps is to normalize depression and anxiety and in, in these disorders so that they know they aren't unique, but they're, they're very part of the mainstream in many ways. Well, the way, the way I think about it, I, I agree with everything you just said. The way I think about it is if you, if you felt a pain in your chest, you know, pulsing down your arm, um, which, you know, I understand, you know, could be a heart attack. You would immediately seek treatment. You wouldn't say, you know, I might be stigmatized for this. I, I, I'll be ashamed of this and my colleagues are say, no, I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to the doctor right now to get treatment for it because something is wrong. It could be something serious. Um, you know, society's not going to judge me for doing that. Um, <clears throat> whereas with a mental health condition, um, which, uh, can be just as serious, you know, for so long, it's, it's not normalized. So, oh, you know what, I'm, have, I'm, I'm suffering from this condition where, you know, I see maybe I feel despondent to the point where I, I could harm myself or others, or even if not, you know, it, it, it's a sufficiently serious condition, but the way society has viewed this condition for so long is different from that, you know, that chest pain and then the arm tingling. I'm, I'm afraid to go seek the help I need. I'm afraid to you know, that other people will judge me um, if they know that I'm suffering. So I'm not going to go get that help. So that, that's, you know, to me is, is the most important uh, part of, 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 you know, talking about this issue. So that people know that, you know, literally, if you would get help for the chest pain and the arm tingling, there's no difference for, you know, any mental health issues. You should go uh, seek the treatment. You should not be ashamed. And, you know, I can't promise that, you know, folks won't, you know, judge or view differently, but my experience has only been, you know, one of, of support um, and that, you know, so many, so many people can relate to this issue um, and, and that it is a normal issue and it, it's, it's a medical issue and it, it should be addressed just the way uh, a physical disorder should be addressed. And it's, a, it's, it's not only okay to ask for help, it's, it's brave to ask for help. It's courageous. Um, and, and you don't need to do it alone. You don't need to do it silently. Um, and there's so many people out there who can help you. You know, that is so true. And, and one thing that's been interesting for me to follow this year in particular is the questions about the, 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 the not the questions, the discussion around removing mental health questions from bar applications. Because, you know, in my mind, I will be honest that I never, until the last probably year, got the full value of therapy because my lawyer's mind was, I don't want to make a record in physician's notes as to the issues I'm having. And, and I remember thinking, I wasn't diagnosed then, but I was, when I, I remember thinking about the bar application and them asking those questions and thinking that's incredibly invasive 
And I think that part of what we have to do is retrain our minds that if you go to therapy, it's okay to do the work and your therapist is there to help you not judge you. Um, yep. and, and your records aren't going to be put out to the world. Right. You know, the, the, so the mental health question on the bar exam is, has, has been one that's, you know, kind of uh, parallel with some of these other discussions, obviously gotten a lot of traction, several states, New York included, are now trying are to have or are, are in the process of removing it from the application. And to me, it's a no brainer um, because a mental health disability is in no way, shape or form an indicator or determinant of competency to practice law. Period. End of sentence. Um, I think what may be the antiquated notion there was, well, if you have some sort of mental health disability, perhaps that makes you, you know, more likely to engage in some sort of, you know, attorney misconduct, um, for which I don't believe that there's any evidence or support for that, um, or any correlation or link. But I do think that that's probably where the questions stem from. I think we're We've progressed long enough, you know, far enough that that we can say that, you know, one does not correlate to the other. And if you're, you know, just as you wouldn't ask a, you know, a potential applicant, you know, and you know, applicant to the bar about their physical conditions because it has no bearing on their fitness to practice law, you shouldn't be asking them about their mental health conditions because, again, it has no bearing on their fitness to practice law. Just as your conversations with your uh, you know, psych psychologists, your psychiatrist have no bearing on your fitness uh, to practice law. Frankly, if it did have a bearing on fitness in your practice, your, your, you know, your fitness practice law, half, a third to a half of our profession, if not more, would, you know, be out of jobs tomorrow. Um, so, you know, the, the, again, the antiquated notion of if you have depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, OCD, schizophrenia, whatever it is, you know, I think the notion was you're more likely to do something wrong. Um, but I think we've, you know, sufficiently dispelled that. And, and, and you know, it, it's time to remove that question from all, uh, not just bar applications, but, uh, you know, applications for, uh, you know, the any type of uh, clerkships or judgeships. Um, I believe that, you know, a number of, of uh, judicial applications acquire a similar type of question. Um, and again, um, have, has no bearing on someone's fitness to practice law or be a judge. Um, if that person ultimately is suffering and needs, for example, to take a leave from the bench, that, that's something different, you know, and, and you address that. But surely, you know, suffering from bipolar disorder does not bear on your fitness to uh, be a clerk or a judge or a lawyer um, in and of itself. I think the the message you just conveyed is not only a message to people who are considering applicants and and candidates and and um and and bringing lawyers aboard but it's also a good message for lawyers who are struggling to embrace that just because you struggle with these conditions doesn't preclude you from being a great lawyer and doing a really good job and getting value and giving value in your profession, that it's not a disqualifier. Because I think some people struggle with the notion that if they have a disease or they admit they have a disease, it disqualifies them from being able to do good for their clients. 
Yeah, look, I, I think I am, you know, I'm, I think I'm personally practicing at my highest level that I ever have. Um, I think, um, you know, that what I went through actually helps me in a, in a professional uh, capacity. And, you know, the, you know, I, 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 I still technically have these, you know, these conditions there, they, you know, will never, there we go away. I took medication last night. I'll take it tonight again. Um, you know, uh, to, to address them, to, you know, help keep them at bay. And it, none of that precludes me from, you know, providing top quality service to my clients. Um, you know, so getting the help that you need, frankly, if, if you suffer in silence, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see how you can provide the best caliber of service your clients, if you're suffering, I mean, if you're not at your peak, whether that's, you know, peak mental, mental, you know, condition or physical condition, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and your clients if, and I certainly understand the reason why someone, you know, doesn't see, seek out help. I, I completely sympathize, but I think you'll be able to provide the best service possible. You'll be the best version of yourself in all aspects of your life, professional and personal, um, if you seek the help you need. You need. That, that, is, um, that is so true. I want to segue uh, a bit. And, um, you know, we've lived through a remarkable year, um, both of us in different parts of the legal profession, um, me in the consulting and recruiting side, you in the private practice side. What are some of the observations you've made about how people have coped with or the issues you've seen in counseling clients about COVID-19 related issues um, as the year has unfolded because it has added, you know, cataclysmic change from where we work to where our kids go to school to what we feel we can do. And it, it's added stress and grief and a whole lot of things. And I'm just curious what your what your um, retrospective on 2020 is going to be from a mental, from a mental health and, um, you know, observation point of view. Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a rough year um, and not in the same way that, you know, I found it rough a few years ago, but, you know, it has been a challenge for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, my, my son is downstairs. He's five. He's in virtual kindergarten. My school district's been virtual the whole year thus far, and it's likely going to be uh, virtual the entire year. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter who's, you know, day, who's, who's preschool slash daycare was, was by and large uh, closed. She only goes for a few hours. So we have two kids at home basically all day, um, you know, full-time jobs, um, you know, the unknown of the pandemic, um, a second wave coming. I mean, you've got a whole host of issues. Um, you know, for me, uh, the the biggest thing that I've done um, in, in, and more so in, in recent months uh, to, to help maintain my, you know, sanity, if you will, is sort of getting outside and, and, or, or some sort of physical exercise. Um, you know, anybody on a Zoom call with me has seen recently that uh, in the background, we just got an elliptical in my office. So that's, you know, that's helped me um, tremendously because I think physical and mental health go hand in hand. Um, uh, you know, taking time off where, where you can, 
Um, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who feel like they can't take vacation because, you know, vacation means they'll still be sitting in their house and people, you know, you know the, the, they feel like they can't take vacation. I took a vacation in July, a week off. I'm taking a week off at the end of this month. Um, and, you know, it, it's incredibly important to re- recharge. I didn't take a vacation for five and a half years before my leave of absence in the fall of 17th. And I don't think that, you know, that, that I think that played no small part in everything that happened. Um, so, so recharging yourself, your batteries, um, extremely important, literally now more so than ever. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that vacation, you know, in about two and a half weeks from now, um, taking time, spending with my family, um, you know, recharging my batteries as we, you know, head into 2021. I, you know, I, this, this has presented, just the most unique challenges. And I, you know, I, I was talking to a colleague yesterday who, you know, again, he's in the, he's in a similar boat to me and he's, he's facing similar challenges. And, um, it is, it is taking things day by day. Um, just trying to put things into perspective. Um, I, I use a lot of mindfulness and meditation and just being grateful, uh, for the things that I do have, where, you know, and, and the things that I can control. Um, my wife and I were talking about, a, you know, a school-related situation yesterday uh, that was frustrating. And, and I said to her, look, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. We can't control it. It is what it is. Um, and, you know, we, we're trying to just control the things that are within my ability to do so. And, you know, I still have access to, you know, beautiful uh, nature preserves a few minutes from my house. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, there things like that I'm trying to focus on it and, and appreciate, but, you know, I'll be the first to admit it is extremely tough. It is extremely difficult and, uh, no doubt there has been an uptick, um, you know, in, in depression, anxiety, and, and a whole host of uh, mental health related issues, you know, brought on by the pandemic. Mark, do you have any view or feedback on how, um, the pandemic and the, and the changes that we've just discussed have impacted the associates. Um, where in a, you know, kind of an essential part of being an associate is just being immersed in the firm culture. Um, you know, the walking in the hallways, the looking at the pictures on the wall, the interaction with the partners, um, how they're faring or, or, or in fact, what, what's things Reed Smith may be doing to help the associates through this time? Well, I, I think, I think there, there's two sides to it. So I think, you know, just as my son doesn't get the benefit of actually being in school, physically interacting with student, you know, his, his fellow students and his teacher um, and walking down the hall saying, I think the same, I do agree the same is true for the associates at the same time. I think that this is all um, uh, emphasized and reiterated that, you know, we are, by and large, we could be a flexible profession. Uh, people, uh, you know, when, when we hire a new person in my group who I work with, I tend to tell them, look, I don't care where you get your work done, how you get your work done, you know, um, you know, where, when, or how. You just, you know, as long as we meet our deadlines and provide good service, you know, if you're a morning person, great. If you're not a morning person, that's fine too. If you like to, to go, if you want to go to the gym midday, I don't care, you know, so that we, you know, that, that I think it to me is highlighted that we can be a flexible profession. We can, 
um, you know, individualize the profession and you can practice in a way um, that, you know, allows you to, you know, also be a person as well. So, I, you know, I, I, for more junior associates, it's, you know, it, it, I, I'm sure, you know, it, it does have an adverse impact and, you know, I feel for those folks, particularly folks who maybe didn't have, you know, a team that they're on necessarily at the start. Um, and I would encourage those folks to, you know, reach out to mentor, mentors uh, within their firm um, or within their organization, you know, to ask, you know, set up a Zoom coffee or, or, or whatnot. Um, but, I, you know, I do think it also has, you know, that potential benefit of showing, you know, um, I mean, I'll tell you from, from me as, as the management side employment lawyer, I probably had the busiest year I've ever had. Um, so I've had a productive year, profitable year. And at the same time, I've only been in the office physically in New York city for a little more than two months of this year. So I think it shows that our profession can be flexible. And I think it goes kind of the whole notion that we're talking about is the profession evolving, um, you know, and, and some of the longstanding, precepts uh, about our profession can change and we can be flexible and we can evolve and we can still be good lawyers and we could still um, provide the service that we need to, but maybe we can do it in a different way than we always thought we had to. I think that's one of the um, unsung and surprising um, outcomes of this year is that a lot of the institutional cynicism about remote work, about um, collaborative technology, about um, you know, video conferencing and use of different modalities has been just smashed. Because you're right, yeah. I mean, the ML100 in particular are, are by and large having good years. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, absolutely. They're also reducing expenses because there's not as much travel and it's increasing productivity because people aren't stuck on airplanes or in my case, perpetually stuck in LaGuardia Airport getting rained on <laughs> until they tear down Terminal B. <laughs> um, yeah, I no, look, for me, I, I have a, you know, uh, I live out in New Jersey, so normally I'd have an hour commute roughly each way. So that's two hours of my day that I can be the more productive personally or professionally. Maybe that's, you know, I could take a half hour of that and uh, you know, spend it with my family, with my, my son or my daughter, uh, some type of physical activity. Maybe I can just, you know, watch a half hour on Netflix. Um, but, you know, it, there, there's frankly more time now in the day to get things done for a lot of people at least. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, I think that, um... I think one of the things people should consider as they go through this year is when do they, when are they able to do their deep work where they get more done mm -hmm. compared to the hours they have in what parts of the day are they not getting deep work done and how can they redeploy that time so that it is doing something productive, either personally productive or family productive, as opposed to kind of spinning their wheels. I think that there's an opportunity here for people to reconfigure how they look at time and when they look at peak times for creating, you know, complex work 
and peak times for when they get on calls and for peak times for when they um, have to take a break. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I've been, I, I was on a call yesterday with uh, or two days ago with a colleague and, you know, she was, uh, she was out for a walk while we were having um, our call. And I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, and then, and she was on the West coast. So it was a little early for her. So, you know, she was using that time both uh, to be productive professionally and personally as well. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's fantastic. Well, as we, as we come to a close, um, what's your closing message to um, the profession out there? What are your closing thoughts? Mine are be kind to yourself and um, judge productivity and ways to be productive um, differently if you have to, but, but be kind to yourself and understand that different circumstances don't mean that you're gonna perform at a lesser level. What, are, what, what is your 2020 closing thought? Well, I, I love the be kind to yourself thing first and foremost. Um, you know, it, particularly with everything going on this year that none of us have ever had to deal with before. If you're having a rough day or week, even be kind to yourself. It's okay. A lot of people, a lot of other people are in, in the same boat and are also having a rough time of it. Like you know, you're doing your best. You're you're trying your hardest. And it's okay if, if there are, you know, are tough times, you're, you're going to get through it. Um, you know, it's okay though, to, you know, go through that cyclical, you know, through that, through that cycle of, of ups and downs. Um, you know, for me, the other, the other, and I'm kind of dovetailing with that is, is that just to remember folks that, you know, they are not alone. Um, and, and I've, you know, feel that way pre pandemic and post pandemic or during the pandemic, I guess we're still in it. Um, you know, with respect to mental health issues pre-pandemic, you know, the, the most amazing part of the last few years for me is, is realizing not only am I not alone, um, you know, the people who can relate to this issue personally or through a loved one or a friend um, are probably the majority of our profession. And right now during the pandemic, um, you know, as I said, we are all in this together. And if you're having a tough time, I can assure you somebody else is as well, many others. Are, are having, you know, struggling as well. And so if you need, if you need a few minutes to talk, um, there are resources out there, you know, frankly, I have people reach out to me just to talk. I'm, I'm always happy to do that. I, I've, I've had, you know, I picked up the phone with an attorney, you know, could be on the other end of the country, you know, sobbing on the other end. Um, find somebody who you trust. It could be, it could be a colleague, a friend, a family member, again, you know, could be a, a random stranger like me. Um, that you can just talk to because honestly, most of the time, 20 minutes uh, of talking um, and you're able to usually feel incrementally better. So, um, you know, those would be my couple of messages to folks. I think, you know, my final thought is don't wait until you're in a state of excruciating agony to get help. If you're feeling uneasy or you sense mm -hmm. that your mood's changing, it's okay to reach out and to get help before mm -hmm. you're in crisis. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. That's that that that's that's absolutely right. Again, you know, uh, imagine a physical ailment. If if you felt, you know, some sort of physical ailment coming on, some sort of pain somewhere, you would want to seek treatment right away, presumably. Um, the same applies to you know every other aspect of your life as well. And there's no shame in doing so. 
for those of you who listen, uh, may you have a wonderful new year uh, filled with joy and emotional health. Um, just know if you're suffering, you're not alone. And there are lots of people out there, including the two of us, who are always willing to listen. And um, it's been a real treat to have you and to have this, this free-flowing conversation. It's, it's, it's a nice way to end what's been an extremely gratifying year of um, building out this podcast. And, and I'm very grateful, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Be well, my friend. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com. Dot com.